All the stories have been told Of kings and days of old But there's no England now Yes no England, there's no America, there's no Europe. Every time I hear this song, it reminds me of The Sopranos. Uh, what was her name? I think her name was Tracy. The stripper that Ralphie kills. Sad. She came out, she used to come out onto the uh, the catwalk to the song, I think, or at least once or twice. Um, so... Uh, it's a great song, but it makes me think of poor Tracy. But we're all living on a thin line, so I guess in one way or another, we are all Tracy. <laughs> we are all Tracy in one way or another. Many of us aren't stripping for a living, but um, some of us have had braces, and some of us have felt aimless. And, uh, and there you have it. Well, I'm welcoming you to the show tonight. That was a little bit of a weird start. The 10th day of November, 2022. And it is Thursday, and we've got a great one here for you tonight because we have Ryan Gable is coming on. We're going to do a, uh, a dive into the cult of Saturn. And it's something that I think uh, people out there have probably heard the references. They probably... Uh, inferred certain things and they've 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 gotten it pieced together in a certain point and, and many of you have probably gone well in and done a lot of reading bought a lot of books um for many people out there watching you one youtube video is uh equivalent to a lifetime of study and that's all they need tonight we are going to uh we're going to stretch this one out the best we can and if we need more time with him with ryan gable then one day we'll do installments on this but i think we should be able to do a lot in an hour a lot. Cult of Saturn, the Black Cube, Sabbatean Frankism. Let's go from the ancient times to where we are now. Um, and uh, because a lot of what we're going to talk about tonight is the forces behind the hyperfixation on, uh, on Freemasonry, the hyperfixation on, on uh, one thing or another. So we're going, uh, we're going ancient with this one tonight, and I can't wait because uh, this is something that I'm not qualified to tell from start to finish, so I bring on someone who has dedicated much of his time into researching and publishing works on this stuff, Ryan Gable from thesecretteachings.info. He's got his own radio show and will be on with us in about 23 minutes or so. So let's get into it. I want to thank my sponsors tonight, BlueMonsterPrep.com. Every day, their help and their guidance becomes more and more relevant. So go to BlueMonsterPrep.com. Use promo code FRANKLY for all of your shipping to be taken off the top. And if you need any guidance on prioritizing uh, your, your prepping needs or anybody else who is interested in getting started, Get over there and get in touch with Pat and Gina. In fact, they are going to be starting to get in on some of our raffles again. We're going to start doing our um, super chat raffles. Uh, I I'm almost I'm almost settled on a new super chat portal that does not um, take PayPal, so that uh, more people will feel more inclined to be involved with the live show again. Because of course, that's how we. That's how we support the show and also do some really great audience involvement uh, involved uh, uh, bits like this, like the raffles and anything else that we come up with. I have a few ideas in mind, but uh, there you go. 
BlueMonsterPrep.com. Go and get friendly with them. They can help you navigate through some dark times that we're in right now, but it uh, doesn't have to be too dark. Keep the light on. Keep your light on. Uh, We'll start off with this one. Just because it's more on the comedy side of things. Alex Jones has been ordered to pay an additional $473 million on top of the billion dollars, on top of the other God knows how many tens of millions. This is just, I mean, how do you not laugh? Even if you're Alex Jones at this point, how do you, how do you not laugh? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Keep yourself alive for 25,000 lifetimes? And pay this off. So it, it is funny. It's really funny. And more so every time that another outrageous number is put on out there, it's a shot across the bow of new media. It's really not about Alex Jones. It's new media. It's free speech. It's uh, denialism. It's all this other stuff. Because denialism goes across the board, as you're going to see in a little bit. But that's the first one up. Now we go over to CNN. These are the people who should be sued and should be fined out of existence for disinformation, misinformation, propagandizing, state propaganda. Look at this screenshot. This was sent to me by my buddy, Paulie. Election, the top of it. This was, was, I think, last night or this afternoon. I forget. CNN, election night in America continued because, of course, election night is not just election night. So on the top, I just love this, the contrast from the top of the page where you have this attempt to normalize the obscenity that are American elections now more than ever. Plenty of people thought that there were obscenities beforehand. You had your valid points. This is just ridiculous. And, and you know, someone brought up Yuri Bezmenov yesterday. I forgot who it was, but this is a perfect example of cultural and psychological normalization. This is the cementing in of things that should not be normal, but have been completely changed by force, and now you must accept it, or else you are the outcast who needs to atone. And who are those outcasts who need to atone in the new America, the new American democracy? Well, election night in America continued is on the top. On the bottom, on the lower third, the contrast with the top is the devious psychological suggestion that what is most concerning is that there are election deniers still in the running in several key races out there. That's what's most concerning, that there are still candidates out there several days later after election day in an obvious fraudulent situation who believe that elections have been made weaker and more prone to fraud. Think about, think about the mind fuck that is that screenshot. The deniers, very concerning. Very concerning, the deniers. Now let's go over to more CNN. Chairman of Maricopa County Board of Supervisors just said that there are around 400,000 ballots left to be... Don't deny any of this and do not think that anything is weird here. This is perfectly normal and it's all on the up and up. They're just being extra special careful. Around 400,000 ballots left to be counted and that they won't be done until early next week. Early next week, listen to this. Again, when do you anticipate the votes will be counted in total, those 400,000 plus votes? Well, we have, uh, we will be going into next week. There's some onesie twosies, uh, again, pursuant to Arizona law, but I think that we'll see the lion's share here wrap up by early next week. 
early next week. Can you give me a day? Are we early, talking Monday? Or we may, may, maybe, maybe. I as long. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Calm down there. Calm down there. You know that elections take sometimes weeks and weeks and weeks to get right. Uh, that four hundred thousand. That is even a disputed number, because I have seen it reported that there was an additional. 100 to 172,000 listen to this listen to this that they have been describing these ballots as these 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 batches that they're finding late early ballots totally legit don't be a denier now anywhere from 100,000 to 172,000 late early ballots have just appeared you have these situations in places like Pima County where the recorder over there is refusing to hand over ballots, an obvious partisan. Late early ballots. Don't be a denier now. Don't be a denier. And here's the whole point. Everything is illegitimate. Everything is illegitimate. Uh, everybody has a gripe. That is not in dispute. Everybody has a gripe here. Republican, Democrat, independent everybody has a gripe how can you ever know like when people when people try to get down to the uh, the nitty-gritty with uh, the the whole Fetterman thing in in Pennsylvania which we have to do a little bit more this is incredible the whole Fetterman thing in Pennsylvania you know what the real problem is 1.3 million people who voted for Donald Trump in Pennsylvania didn't show up this time around you know what else is the problem well and they're getting into the statistics the breakdown and all that stuff it's a bad candidate not people didn't come out well yeah people didn't come out there's always going to be that factor because nothing's changed since 2020 and they knew that their their votes went to shit they were negated and then everybody objecting were not given their day in court they were just just thrown out and they are labeled deniers by the very diverse panels on cnn that okay so that's it but no matter the quality of candidates and how the GOP and Trump factions are splitting all their allegiances and their endorsements and people staying home and not really being motivated anymore, you still, with all of that on the table, don't really know how your candidates fared because nothing has changed and everything is so blatantly bad. It's so bad. Now, this is something else. The real intellectual heavyweights came out in force during a panel on MSNBC. This is incredible, okay? Now, in case you needed more evidence that John Fetterman, uh, who I have learned from Pennsylvania friends of mine, was a real bastard even when he was healthy. You know, I never knew anything other than the, the, the tragic figure that has become a little bit more of a national uh, story the last couple of months. but. As if you needed more proof that his selection for the U.S. Senate is a taunt, you've got to listen to this. First, we go over to uh, first we go over to Jen Psaki, who's wearing so much makeup she looks like an escort from the Bond film or something like that. Um, here, here we go. Listen to this. It's going to start off with Jen Psaki, and then we're going over to Katie Turr, who really takes this one home. We were in the state, uh, which is a lesson for Democrats. He left no stone unturned, and he ran as exactly who he is. I mean, I have no doubt that if John Fetterman were sitting here, if he were in a bar, if he were with his family in a restaurant, he'd be exactly the same person. And voters completely... I'm sure. Does he have any choice? see through that so that is also a lesson uh, for Democrats too this is a this is a guy you know who he is you know what you're getting and that ultimately matters in politics so, so the bond the bond film escort 
giving us platitudes about John Fetterman representing the everyman. Can you imagine if the average man was like John Fetterman? The economy would have collapsed hundreds of years ago. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that? But they're, they, they need to make this just an amazing story. An amazing story. And now she comes to take it home. Katie Turr. Fetterman as a nominee at some point for president. For you in podcast land, who just heard what she said, I want, I'm going to play it again, and I want to envision a smug, like a, 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 a midwit, crossing her arms, sitting back like she's about to blow your mind with something really outside the box and incredible. Listen to this. A nominee that ultimately matters in politics. Fetterman as a nominee at some point for president. Uh, president. Vice President. Um, I know there's some variables, obviously. <laughs> but did, you see, did you see Alan Greenspan's wife? She's looking at Katie Turr like, Katie, Katie dear, the man's retarded. I, 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 I mean, we'll take the seat, Katie, but please learn to say when. You're trying to draw blood from a stone. The man may not even have any blood, Katie. And let's just listen to it again at some point for president um i know there's some variables obviously <laughs> but just a, few. just a few yeah what's the what's the variables what what, what are those what are those variables that, that he's he's mentally handicapped i would love to hear katie turr give her opinion on turtle racing like at, at a county fair or something like that she'd probably suggest that the winning turtle should be chairman of the federal reserve but i just you know it, it, what he did in the in the super red, deep red parts of Pennsylvania and the way that he ran ahead of Biden, as you were saying, ran ahead of Trump. I mean, it just makes it makes you wonder about his future, his future. Ladies, you have been weaponized, ladies. I'm sorry. This is demeaning. Look at Kate, Katie Turr sitting there, sitting there with her arms crossed like she's on a fucking rocking chair, smoking a pipe, channeling the elders wisdom. Like she's an inter interior decorator over here. Like she's she's about to blow your mind with some with some kind of a remodeling tip for your for your living room that you had not considered yet. And then she says something like, "You know, I think you should put the dog bed in the fireplace." I know there's some variables variables there. The dog might be cremated, but I, I don't know. Let's just just shake things up. You know, there could be something in this, right? They have no one. This is what it comes down to. They have no one. The fact that they keep winning like this, it's rhetorical, all right? It's rhetorical. The fact that they can, they can mitigate their losses on a night like Tuesday night, it's all rhetorical. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. But they have no one, which is why, of course, they are teaming up with people like Paul Ryan and, and that type to use this sham of a midterm to finally try to rid themselves of Trump. That's exactly what's going on here. The Trump stuff now is so incredibly obvious. There's a lot of people out there in crisis over not getting their, their tsunami the other night that they're, they're genuinely latching onto it. But the Trump stuff is so obvious now. And I, I know... I'm going to come off as a cheerleader now, just like I hated sounding like in 2017 and 2018. But when the media goes to absurdities, 
resorts to absurdities to go after a guy, uh, whether you know who who deserves to be criticized like everybody else. But when you go to absurdities and we're dealing with just an apparent psyop again, I gotta. I mean, you have to say something, and of course, it's just my opinion. But you have this, especially now that we got the inside baseball from Rich Barris on Monday night and that Raheem Kassam article that we read last night. I watched, I I lost the video here now. I watched the video of Paul Ryan being interviewed by somebody about uh, the midterms and what it means and uh, and, and what you're looking like going forward as a party. Paul Ryan, okay, everybody hated. He's a a freak, you know, another one nobody liked. Um, They all suck. Like the protege of that John Boehner guy, that really drunk, crying loser wept when he picked up the gavel. He's a, oh my God, I hate them all. I hate them all. I hate them. So I, I'm looking at this, this, um, this Paul Ryan and he's saying, well, you know, Trump is a drag on the ticket and, uh, under Trump, uh, he lost the house. Uh, he lost the house in 2018, lost the, the Senate and lost the presidency. And you know, it's just, a, I think we want to go in a different direction. So fucking obvious. First of all, what did I say last night? 2018 is when we learned about the ballot harvesting. We saw it coming a mile away. It's the first kind of big issues I was talking about with Rich Barris. What's being done about this? Is there anything being done about this? And they bled whatever they can get out of California. What was left of any kind of resistance in like Orange County area, stuff like that, bled it all out of their ballot harvesting, the trick-or-treat harvesting. Then in 2020, we had COVID harvesting. We had the ballot harvesting, we had the digital machines, whatever the hell was going on there. We had the drop box voting insanity, uh, the, the, the early voting for weeks and weeks, the late voting for weeks and weeks, the fact that so many states, of course, on top of that, think that it's a civil rights violation to prove you are who you say you are with, a vo- with voter ID laws when you're going to go cast a ballot. That's a, that's a long-standing issue still. As I said years ago, give it some time and we're going to be uh, we're going to be voting through text message like it's American Idol back in 2005. Some people are we're going to be voting with dick pics. It, that's exactly where we're going now. So the House, the Senate and the White House were gradually lost by Donald Trump. But at the same time, he added 12 plus million votes to his 2016 total. And he had racial crossover. That was the greatest we had seen in 60 years. Okay, now not also to be a, a a a cheerleader, but just again to show the operation that's being run, okay, by the entire company, by the the kept men in the GOP, by the 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 collective media, save for one or two people on on Fox, and then you have uh, and then you have the the just the thieves, the the outright thieves in in the Democrat Party, the collective thing there, same company different divisions donald trump two, 219 wins of his endorsed candidates now and like 16 losses as far as the, his candidates go that he endorsed and he's been out of office for two years but yeah paul ryan and his eddie munster hair can go fuck himself right back to crossfit that's what he should be doing and i hate i gotta like i said i hate i gotta do this i hate but you gotta look at these headlines Look at some of these headlines. Here's the New York Post. Here's how Donald Trump sabotaged the Republican midterms two years out of office. And he put his name, he attached his name to 219 winners. 
Then you have this little collection here you might have seen. The Atlantic, Trump lost the winter, midterms, DeSantis won. Salon, biggest loser tonight, Trump world is catatonic over his MAGA midterm failure. Axios, Trump's the loser as GOP falters. The Week, TV pundits, election and analysts declare Trump the biggest loser of the 2022 midterms. Independent, the biggest loser in the U.S. midterms, Donald Trump. The Guardian. Trump branded midterms biggest loser as DeSantis win fuels 2024 talk. DeSantis did in Florida what Arizonians could not pull off in their state, what Pennsylvania could not pull off. I mean, Florida is what the rest of the country would look like. Even California would be shocked at what would come out of there if they had anything, any kind of voter accountability that was done in that place as they did in Florida. Florida and Guam is what the country would look like. And so this is just, here's another one from the Hill. Trump is the past. DeSantis is the future. Well, maybe in four years. Maybe in four years because DeSantis just won himself four more years. I think it'd be very stupid for him to leave two years in the middle of his job when people put so much trust in him and he's having so much success and success is not okay i'm the i'm the night manager at a models in nyack new york and we're doing pretty good but you know i've been called up to corporate and i got a good job no you're dealing with people's lives here and what you're doing in florida will not be able to apply to all 50 states you won't be able to do it just keep doing what you're doing down there but they have an operation that they're running that's it that's it, man. We have it's the most obvious coordination between the left-wing thieves, the media, the kept men of the GOP, same company, different divisions. It's all there. And uh, and as much as people are perfectly within their rights to question how pure even Trump's intentions are and his associations are, there's still no denying how incredibly allergic this group is to his presence. And I think that is, with what little we have going for us, I think that's still a pretty good leg up. At least he brings something to the table that's dangerous, or else they, they would just they would set him loose and ride his coattails, but they're not. You don't think that the Democrats wished they had a Trump figure to this point right now? Katie Turr is so desperate for a Trump that she suggested Quasimodo for president. You don't think that they want to Trump? <laughs> oh, jeez, jeez. But um, the the issue is that they had a lot easier time. The neocon kept men of the GOP. They had a lot easier time co-opting the Tea Party. That that went up in flames real quick. But now we are seven years into Trump's arrival on the scene, and they're still trying to wash him out of the carpets. They can't do it. I think that's funny. Other than that, you already know I have no faith in in the resurrection of a of a uh, a constitutional federal government. We're just playing the game to just explain the game, I guess. That's just that. Anyway, we'll be right back. Thank you so much for the time. And share this show far and wide. I put all the links out everywhere. So just give it a retweet, a retruth, a reblog, whatever it is. And we will be back in a moment. You want to overrun us and poison us and take our families and kill us?
You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! Welcome, everybody. It's good to have you here. It's the official start of the show. So, what do we have going on tonight? I'm not doing... Uh, we did elections on Tuesday. We did elections on Wednesday. I did just did a, more election stuff on the on the uh, 4 o'clock show with Adel and Zach. And now here I am for 7 o'clock. And we did our opening. But now I want to get into some... Good old-fashioned storytelling. Now, uh, whenever anyone gets together, at least on the internet, to talk about human events, especially on the internet, it always leads to conversations and speculation as to who controls the game, how complex that network of control and power dealing really is, and is there a principal ruler? Is there a commission of some sort, like how La La Cosa Nostra organize themselves in the 20th century we've got a we live in a world that is filled with institutes and bureaus and administrations and fraternities and schools frankfurt schools clubs of rome groves of bohemia isms galore it's it's actually really really topsy-turvy and um and what we have going on tonight I wanted to bring on our friend Ryan Gable, who he was just sitting in the, uh, the, the waiting room. I don't know where he is now. But I wanted to bring on my friend Ryan Gable. This is, the I think, the second time he's been on this show, but he was so gracious to have me on, 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 this, uh, on his show, I think maybe, I don't know, four weeks ago or so. That is The, C- the Secret Teachings, thesecretteachings.info. The link is in the description. And I got, uh, I had a wonderful time with him then. I'm going to have a wonderful time with him tonight. He's got his own radio show. He spent a considerable amount of time publishing extensive histories of the hidden centers of power in the occult world. And on this episode, I wanted to learn about one of the granddaddies of them all. And that is the cult of Saturn leading up to uh, what we now know as the Sabbatean Frankists. And uh, Ryan... How are you? You there? Ryan? He's here with me. I think the last time this happened too. Hold on a second. Ryan Gable is on with us. He is here. But there is no sound. It's been smooth lately too. When we bring people on Zoom. 
Usually it's good timing and pop, pop, they're right there. All right, Ryan. Well, we're going to, uh, Ryan did not connect audio, it says. So you should connect the audio. And then maybe we can get on with this. But in the meantime, while Ryan's figuring that out, uh, the real reason why I wanted to do this tonight is, well, the reason why I wanted to do this is because I thought it was going to be uh, create a really nice foundation for an incredible thread, an interesting thread that had popped up in, I don't know, it was like mid to late August. And it was about, it was about um, Tolkien and Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, and how it was, it's said and theorized by some that it's not fantasy, purely fantasy, that is, it was actually a creation from Tolkien's understanding of how ancient European history actually went on and how it, uh, and, and how it, uh, it, uh, it went on, he's, he's trying like hell over here. But I wanted to get into that because it actually ties into, at the end, the rings of Saturn and what perhaps the ring of power actually is. Now, hopefully we're able to get into this because uh, also the other thing that we had going for us uh, about a month or two ago when we had Leo Zagami on the show is he actually broached the topic of Sabbatean Frankism as the, the, the main infiltrating force behind all of the inverted religions that we have going on here. The presence in, uh, in the Jewish communities, presence in, in Islam, and of course presence in the Vatican. And, uh, and that is something that I think would be a tremendous bit of information for people to consider as we go forward. And for some reason, we're just not able to get this audio working. Um, I do believe that we had this problem last time. I don't want to waste a break right now, but I think I might have to. So um, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go on a, a short break now that we're all introed up and get him all, I mean, at least give him some time. I'm going to at least give him some time. So I guess we're going to our old trusty, where the hell is he? Hmm. Give me a second. I'm going to give you some music. I'm going to give you some music because uh, what's his name from Florida? What's his name from Florida? Said I don't play anything from from my band. Set the charge. All right. Uh, he's over here working like hell to get this to work. So um, I'm going to give him some time. Here's EMP by Set the Charge with yours truly on the drums and Anthony on vocals and. My guitarist, Tom, who is getting married on, on Saturday, I'm sure my bassist, Derek, will be there, too. We'll be right back. Wait, Ryan, you there? Yes, I am now. Ah, yes. Can you hear me okay? I can. In one ear, I hear you just fine. But it does not matter, because here you are, and now I don't have to go on a music break. We can do that later on. How the hell you been, my friend? I've been good. I've been trying to read your words, because I couldn't hear you, and then it just clicked. So I, I thought you were going to a break, so it's good that it just started working. Oh, absolutely. You know been doing good, though. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And, and I thank you again for having me on your show. It was a really a, a fun time talking about the world and tying history into it and all that stuff. Are you going to be sending over a, a video feed? No, I didn't have a video feed, but I can set it up here. Yeah, it'll just take a second when we're talking. Okay, no problem. We'll just get right on into it then. It doesn't matter. As I was saying in the opening, though, um, the granddaddy of them all and how you have, have you, um, how you have spent so much time putting together histories 
that uh, that talk about unspoken power, uh, centers of power throughout time and that still express themselves in modern day ancient ancient uh, occult rituals and and, uh, and 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 practices that have really helped shape the modern world in ways that people don't know and out of one group or club or whatnot that you can point to one of the granddaddies of them all is the cult of Saturn and I wanted you to take us back to ancient times and really start working on this because uh, it's something I think it would be it would be great for everybody to have a crash course on yeah that sounds great so I've written a book called Occult Arcana and in that book I talk quite a bit about Saturn more from a mythological and a historical and a theological point of view I think that the easiest way to start out is with a foundation and very basic uh, kind of polarizing uh, themes, and that is by looking at Saturn as an image of what we consider to be evil or what we consider to be darkness and oppression. Generally speaking, and mythologically speaking, that's what Saturn is. Saturn is a very heavy and very dense uh, planet and god, traditionally, very heavy energy. So we see Saturn as a dark or a very evil thing. And we see the sun, for example, as a very light, warming, and positive thing. So on a mundane level, when we decide, uh, decide to define things as good and evil, there's a difference between what is good and evil, and there's a difference between what is right or wrong, and there's a difference between all four of those things. We, we tend to lump them together. So something that we don't really want to happen to us, something that we find to be negative, we would typically associate, if we were religious, we might associate uh, maybe losing some money or someone breaking into our car. That's an evil thing. Somebody did something bad there. Uh, and then if we win the lottery, maybe you're lucky enough to win the lottery. Or if we, uh, you know, if maybe you find $5 on the ground. Maybe you're lucky enough to find 5 bucks on the ground. Maybe that was God. Maybe the angels pushed you in that direction. They helped you make a connection with somebody. So the difference between positive and negative, good and evil, right or wrong, Saturn comes into play very, no pun intended, very heavily here. Because Saturn becomes the image uh, of all of the things that we consider to be evil in this world. So when you see the picture, David Icke uses it a lot. I've seen this picture maybe uh, online in books before of Saturn eating his own children. Have you seen that image before? Oh, yes. People say that that image represents uh, human and child sacrifice. Now, I think that there's certainly human and child sacrifice throughout human history. I'm by no means and no way disputing that. I've been a proponent of discussing that on my show, The Secret Teachings, for years now. It's helped to get me kicked off of a couple of radio networks. However, eating your own children, that idea, is not necessarily a literal thing. Because Saturn is the creator, the grand architect, like in the Matrix. Saturn is depicted as having a long robe and a white beard usually a short to medium beard, sometimes a long beard, kind of like Father Time. Obviously, Father Time is like the Grim Reaper. The Grim Reaper carries the scythe, so there's an agricultural element to this to cut down the wheat in the fall time when the final judgment occurs. And in our final judgment over our lifetimes, over many, many fall months, we have our legs cut, from out, uh, cut out from underneath of us, if you will, we pass away, and Saturn is there to take us like the Grim Reaper. So Saturn is the Grim Reaper. Saturn is Father Time. Saturn is, in essence, if you want to go further into it, Santa Claus is basically uh, uh, Saturn, in a sense, the North Pole. And uh, there's a lot of Scandinavian mythology there as well. So 
Saturn plays this part of devil, plays this part of evil, plays this part of uh, very heaviness, um, and you find that in uh, the symbolism, obviously, of Saturn eating his own children. In the esoteric tradition, however, there's a different interpretation of this. The interpretation is that since Saturn is the architect of the physical world, he is creating all things like the Egyptian god Ta on the potter's wheel. He's not creating man per se. He's creating the construct, the physical material world. So this is like, you know, geometry, uh, sacred geometry in particular. Uh, this is the, uh, the four corners of the world. This is why Saturn's symbol is the, is the cube in three dimensions or the square in two dimensions, right? Mm -hmm. You got the four corners, the four horsemen, the four seasons. And through these four seasons, we get the idea again of the apocalypse and the end of the world and Armageddon. This is a yearly cyclical thing. So Saturn is creating an environment for us to live in. That's why matter is obviously very dense, looks very physical, although scientists argue that it might not be as physical. It's sort of an illusion. So this also brings in another character similar to Saturn. We know him as Lucifer. He endows matter with this illusory um, glitter and glamour, as the occultists say, to make you desire it, to make you want it. So they're not the same character, but they're very similar. They sort of work together. Uh, and they are, as the occultists believe, I consider myself an occultist, a necessary evil. Because without that heavy denseness and that blackness, that darkness, that cold, you can't really understand, logically, you can't really understand the, the lightness and the fluffiness, if you will, the light and the love and the warmth of if you're a Christian, Jesus Christ, uh, or if maybe you're a pagan, then it's, of course, the sun in the uh, morning sky when it rises uh, in the east. So if Saturn's eating his own children, it's basically a metaphor. It represents that at some point in our lives, we are going to die, obviously. And when that ha happens, Saturn comes to collect. So at the beginning, when we're born, the occultists say that we plant the seeds of our own destruction and that Saturn is there as an agricultural deity to assist us in planting those seeds. So as those seeds are planted and we grow older, we become old just like Saturn. He brings the scythe to cut us down. Therefore, we are his children. But at the end, little tough love, Saturn comes to collect. Another thing about Saturn that's very important to understand before we get into the more cultish aspect of it is that traditionally in the mythology, Saturn is not all evil and dark and heavy and not all even uh, agriculture in, in terms of cutting down the crops. Saturn in the mythology was known to sit in fields of beautiful flowers and he would run time forward and backwards even perhaps in some stories. He's the father time, right? So he can control time. So as he's looking at the plants and the leaves of the trees and the flowers, he blooms the flowers in the stories and then he allows them to die. And he does this constantly over and over and over in the mythology. It's telling a cyclical yearly you know, de decade, 100-year, 10,000-year, 100,000-year story. It's always happening. It's always in progress. They've deified this natural cycle in Greece and Rome and going back into even more ancient times. So Saturn plants the seeds of our destruction. That's important to understand. He is a necessary evil to understand life and light. And in the mystery schools of Greece and Rome and Egypt and all these other places, uh, South and Central America, uh, even Japan and Asia, different parts of Asia, you would reenact these mythologies. You would reenact these stories to align yourself with the gods, to align yourself with uh, Jupiter, to align yourself 
uh, even with Saturn in some of the rituals. And this is done in Freemasonry, the Templars, and a bunch of others. And you would do this in the old world and in today's world to align yourself with the natural cycles, and you would draw down uh, the energy, the signature, the weight, if you will, of these planetary gods. And each of these gods has um, something called a magical square, which is a series of numbers that when you uh, do a little mathematics with each line, they all come to the same number. So Saturn's little square cube, if you will, but it's a square in two dimensions. Uh, it comes to 666 and uh, 15, 15, 15 in each direction, but numerologically 15, 15, 15 is 666. So this is part of the reason we have 666 associated with Saturn. So, so far, just to recap, Saturn's a necessary evil. Saturn plants in us the seeds of our own destruction. Saturn is Father Time, the Grim Reaper. Saturn is the old man, the architect of the universe. And Saturn is going to come to collect on his creation, if you will, or the allowance of, of, of his creation in what we call the physical world. Um, so Saturn is not necessarily evil. Saturn also provides us with this environment to live and to love and to experience. So that would, I, I would say, that's a very positive thing. Now what these cults have done, and I don't know if there's an actual specific cult of Saturn per se, uh, just like Christianity has like thousands of denominations and Islam and Judaism and Buddhism even. Um, but there are people certainly who worship Saturn. And yes, there's wordplay as well with Saturn uh, or Satan and then Santa Claus, the Satan Clause, the contractual obligation with Santa, similar to the trick-or-treating of the fall time of, of the, um, the Halloween season. So you have Saturn, Satan. There, there's a thing there. Sa Satan, of course, from Shaitan. Shaitan is the adversary, uh, and I believe it's. I believe that's in the Hebrew. So Saturn takes on this um, this image of being some something that is destructive, something that is heavy, something that is chaotic, something that is dark, something that is evil. But again, there's that positive side. So the people that worship this, in terms of let's say, let's call it a cult, and all cults are not bad. Some cults are just people getting together and you know it's pretty much every religion political party etc but a negative cult if you will uh, would be people that worship just the negative aspects of Saturn so they pick Saturn let's say is the God they worship maybe they don't even know they worship the God Saturn and in worshiping this this destructive chaotic deity I would actually place Yahweh into the position of Ieldabaoth and the Gnostic scriptures and place Yahweh into the category of being Saturn or Saturn-like because Yahweh was destructive, Yahweh was chaotic, Yahweh was very dark, Yahweh demanded sacrifice. These are all things associated with the Saturn energy, if you will. So Saturn is all these things and more, and those that worship him as part of a cult are worshiping the very dark, heavy, negative aspects. I know that's a lot, but does that make sense so far? No, it does. It does. It's it's almost as if you're we're reading the playbill right now to see all the the players and their backstory, so we can actually get on to where in history. Because as I said in the opening, when we were fumbling around and getting ourselves all set up, um, when when Leo Zagami was on, uh, people love and it, it's it's definitely an attractive, very uh, cozy kind of a subject for me. But to talk about secret societies to talk about uh, cons conspiring to draw 
huge amounts of power and influence over humanity on a planetary scale, um, the infiltration of, of, of sacred, sacred institutions, um, Illuminati. And when I brought Leo Zagami on and wanted to talk about Illuminati and Freemasonry and all that, um, he, he for, for the first time on this show, drew us back behind all of that to get even more ancient, and that's when he brought up Sabbatean Frankism. And I wanted to be able to, to draw from where we are, what you just set up right there, in uh, ancient, ancient, more ancient times, up, and up to that 17th, 18th, 19th century area where we start seeing the, uh, the more recognizable cornerstones for modernity to come into focus. So with that being said, where would you start now? I would start just because I've been reading a lot about this. I want to start in Central America. Okay. And I want to take us from Central America to answer that question. In Central America, as in South America, you had these creator deities, very similar to those all over the, all over the world, but we're just going to focus on those for a second. In South America, in the Andes area, the Inca Empire, their creator was named Baracocha. Baracocha came out of the waters, usually of Lake Titicaca. Some say he came out of the Pacific Ocean. And then up in Central America, you had a god named Quetzalcoatl, uh, there is another way to pronounce that. I, I don't speak the language, so I can't pronounce it that way. Uh, but Quetzalcoatl was a creator deity, also came out of the ocean, usually the Eastern Sea or the Gulf of Mexico area. Now, these gods were white. They had beards, which the Inca didn't have beards. Some people think the Inca, it's a scrambling of the word cane. So that's the mark of cane is that these Indian tribes don't have beards. That's another theory entirely. But these creator gods came, they had white skin, they had beards, and they had long robes, almost Saturn-like uh, in appearance. Uh, there is another uh, way to pronounce Much later in the, in the story, much, much later, more recently, you have the stories in the late 1300s, uh, early 1400s of the Templars coming to Central, South, and North America, and the Indians being very friendly with them because they looked like their gods. Now, when... Um, when Hernan Cortez and Francisco Pizarro came to the Americas uh, as conquistadors and they brought their, their, their conquistador, their soldiers with them, uh, the native populations there believed that they were the reincarnation or the return of their gods, Viracocha or Quetzalcoatl in particular in Central America. And it's kind of ironic because we say, well, the Spaniards did really terrible things to the, to the Indians, and that's true, they did. But there are a lot of Spaniards that also tried to prevent that from happening, and it's because of those Spanish people that we, there's a lot of different guys I could name, but that's not the point, who uh, protected and, 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 um, and uh, copied a lot of the information down uh, to take back to Europe. And we have a lot of that preserved today, so we understand this, this history and this mythology. And the irony is, although we consider the white people to have done terrible things, uh, the white people were actually, according to the Inca and according to the Maya and others, they believed that white people were the civilizing gods of these areas, and they brought love and peace and light and these things that are associated with Jesus uh, and other types of deities. So long story short and fast forwarding, there is a place called Tolan. Uh, that's the city in Central America. And at Tolan, so that the, uh, this battle took place between Quetzalcoatl, this god of love and light, and a very dark god. I would call him Saturn or... He has a Saturn-like energy, or Typhon, set from Egypt. And this god, Tezcatlipoca, targeted Quetzalcoatl and his positive cult, if you will, 
and through a battle drove him out of Central America. And when he did this, Quetzalcoatl promised, as he left on the ocean, to return one day to end the rule of this god Tezcatlipoca, a god who, and this is going to sound familiar, demanded human sacrifice, blood sacrifice, and particularly the blood and the sacrifice of children, or at least younger people. Uh, and not a kid like a goat, but actual human, animal, uh, and child sacrifice. Very similar to the cult of Moloch. So this is in Central America, and we find this in Central America, South America. We find this in the Middle East. We find this in Asia. We find this all over the world. Now, there's an archetype there between darkness and light. As the sun comes up and the sun goes down, the battle between Osiris and Set. Uh, similar story, almost identical, funny enough, was told in uh, Northwest India. Uh, there's an underwater city. Graham Hancock wrote a huge book. He talked about it mm. called Dwar Dwarka. You ever heard of Dwarka? I, I've, I've heard him talk about it on, on several interviews, but I have not read the, the book. It's, fa it's fascinating. Dwarka is this, now it's underwater, likely from uh, probably around the time of the last ice age, 10 so thousand years ago. Uh, used to be obviously above the water, so it was this big city, and it was said to be the home of or the base of Krishna which is the Christ of India, Krishna. Krishna, his father, was also a carpenter. So at Dwarka, it is said that this other god, and I believe, or he's like a king, his name I think is like Salva or Salwa, um, different pronunciations. He comes, and he's a chaotic and destructive king, and he drives Krishna out of Dwarka. Same exact story in Central America. T.S. Catlapoca comes and drive, drives Quetzalcoatl out of Central America. So we have two things here, I think, two different levels. On one level, it sounds like the, the, the standard archetypical uh, transitioning of cycles and darkness coming and then light coming and then darkness coming and light coming. On another level, though, these gods, especially the, the original creator gods uh, like Veracocha and Quetzalcoatl and, and others um, that are you know very similar to Krishna and, and uh, Jesus, these gods had um, over thousands of years similar types of stories had very human features, and it's almost as if they, they, they probably were very human, and then later on they became more mytho mythalized, if you will, and they became more you know like gods in the traditional sense of we think these are concepts or higher beings or something to that effect. But you have these same stories all over the world. Um, and one last example is, like, let's say in Japan, where it's a little more natural in its history. Uh, there's a goddess there named Amaterasu, reportedly the stories go back 8,000 years, far dating, predating Christianity. She was put into a cave for three days, and then she was resurrected. Now, the cave is a symbol of the womb of the earth, uh, just like the pyramid uh, of Khufu, or Cheops in Egypt, is a womb of the goddess Isis. They called, it the, uh, called her the mistress of the pyramid. So you're inside the womb, but when you're inside the womb, you're in this cave in this darkness. That's really the belly of the beast of Saturn, if you will. And then she, after three days, comes back to life and brings light to the world. In the same way that Jesus promises to return, the same way that Quetzalcoatl promised to return, and the same way that Krishna promises to return, and all it's the same story told in different ways. That over thousands of years it changes, different things happen, and you know things get mixed together. So understanding all that, we go back to a time period of uh, it's like early to mid 1600s. This guy is born named Zabate Zavai. I don't know if Leo uh, ex explicitly talked about Zavai. Did he? Did he mention the name? Well, it, when it comes to Zabate Zavai, I mean, I this is where whatever knowledge I have of this 
comes up. Um, I, I know that he was okay. a cult leader. I know that he was arrested in Turkey for satanic teachings, I think, in like yes. 1666. And um, he he was named himself, or he was named literally for Saturn, and uh, and and I don't know you, you can you can take it from there. But this is where I believe that the whole, as far as looking out at the world and trying to conquer it through uh, inversion and inverting uh, good with bad and and, and whatnot, this is where really, um, my understanding starts coming into into play. Yes, and in fact, we can go back to Central America there again for a good example. Central and South America, you had Cortez and you had Pizarro, uh, and both of them, at least Cortez, we're pretty sure from what I've read about Cortez, he understood the traditions of the people there. So he sort of studied their religion, and then he played on it in order to get access to the inner sanctum of those Indian communities, where they were greatly outnumbered, but then... You know, because of this mythological religious tradition and the promise of a return of the god, and they kind of looked like them, they were able to play on those beliefs and, and slaughter tens of thousands. Um, and I think very similar thing is happening when we go back to Zavai or this other gentleman named Jacob Frank. I shouldn't call him a gentleman, kind of a psychopath. Uh, Zabate Zavai was a rabbi, and he was known to be, as you alluded to, a black magician. So these are people, black magicians are those that take things and distort them as you said they distort things that are good uh, they twist them they turn them literally and figuratively uh, for example if you had um, let's say uh, well we'll just use a stupid example you got a smile on your face they're gonna turn it into a frown they want to see people suffer uh, if you have a day of feasting they want to see a day of famine if you will a day of starvation so Zabate Zevai comes along he's a rabbi so he has a, a very good knowledge base of uh, Judaism uh, and a Jewish tradition and Jewish mysticism. And he claimed, I didn't meet the guy, <laughs> but I, uh, from what I understand, he claimed to be the Jewish uh, Messiah. Now, we fast forward a little bit. I think it's like 50 years after he dies, and this other guy is born, Jacob Frank. Jacob Frank also considered himself Jewish. He was not a rabbi. He was a black magician. And he claimed that he was the reincarnation of Zabate Zavai. So you have these two guys. As a side note, it kind of reminds me a little bit of how people like David Wilcock claim that he's the reincarnation of Edgar Cayce. Um, it could just be as simple as that. Uh, Jacob Frank is trying to get views, if you will, and clicks back in the back in the 1700s. So he, he claims he's the reincarnation. Uh, do you have something to say? I thought you were going to say something there. Oh no, no, I, 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 I thought that was funny. I, uh, before, <laughs> before, I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to derail you, but I, I was just trying to keep it in the back of my mind. But when you're talking about um, being able to pair up days of fasting with feasts and and being able to just once again offset anything that is good and and uh, holy with something that's a little bit more antithetical to that and chaotic and and i, I know that it was a it was a big uh, point of this guy that uh, he thought that by doing evil and by being the antithesis of good he would be able to force the end of the world and um and all that stuff and uh so it it, it made me think about modern day because of course i know that we were, were working our way up to modernity i always say on this show especially in 2020 when we started seeing everything really just fall apart that we have a parallel 
political calendar that has been built up around us where we have really all these uh these these new age weird hollywood culty kind of um you know holidays with their award shows and their their idols and all that stuff we we know that all of the big patriotic holidays have gotten these these civil rights things that have popped up Juneteenth instead of the 4th of July. They want to give people something alternative to be in there with. Um, we know, you, you know, you know the ins and outs of the political calendar these days, right down to uh, Kwanzaa and, uh, and, and making sure that every time people sit down and be thankful for something on Thanksgiving, they're instead given something to think about all the terrible things that were done to Native Americans. Columbus Day, forget about that. It's just over and over again. It's, it, it, it is a constant assault. So that's the, first, that's the first thing I have seen and have been able to connect with um, here in modern times for sure. I actually just wrote a book uh, a little bit about that called Liberty Shrugged which is on my website if anybody wants to check that out, thesecretteachings.info. It addresses a lot of what you're saying. Uh, there's a chapter on the Indian issue as well, um, which, by the way, my background, uh, a lot of my uh, family is actually Cherokee, and uh, reportedly my, gram- my, or my grandma and my great-grandma were Nav- or part Navajo, so got a wow. lot of that in me. So I've always been interested in that. I read a lot about it, and uh, it's a fascinating history. It's, it's in my book, Liberty Shrugged. But anyway, uh, Sabate Savai, rabbi, black magician, and then Jacob Frank comes along, and he has the same mindset. He's a black magician. He claims to be Jewish, and this is an interesting interesting piece of the puzzle. We're not going to get too much into it, but you've discussed this on your show, which I applaud you for because there aren't many shows who discuss this, uh, who talk about that quote-unquote, using air quotes, Jewish question. You know, if you're Kanye West, doesn't matter if you have black skin, you can't say the word Zionism, even if you're not talking about Jewish people. If you're Kyrene Irving, you can't post something that is, I guess, I didn't watch the video he posted or the link to it, but it probably has something to do with Zionism, like Kanye West, and he gets suspended and they want him to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars and meet with the ADL now, or he can't play basketball oh, again. those demands, the demands that they gave him are sick. They're basically, you know what they are? They're basically like the demands that Zelensky is coming to the U.S. Congress with. We want hundreds of billions. We want missiles. We want planes. We want tanks. You will give this to us, America. It's like a shakedown. He said, operation. here, here, real quick. He was given six conditions. He needs to apologize and condemn the movie that he shared. A uh, $500,000 donation to anti-hate causes. Anytime That's you, a shakedown. Uh, sh- and, and, and Ryan, every time I hear diversity, anti-hate, acceptance, it, it, they are they are objectively good benign words that leave my stomach in knots now because you know they're yes. being wielded by completely sick and twisted people. Sensitivity training, anti-Semitic training. He needs to meet with the ADL. He needs to meet with Joe Tsai, That is the uh, you know I guess the owner of the uh, of the Nets, and he needs to demonstrate understanding. What the uh, he- how, uh, so uh, anyway? Keep go ahead. No, but, I mean, all that's a great example because the, the so-called, quote-unquote, Jewish element of Zabate Zavai and Jacob Frank was that Zavai was a rabbi, so he, he has a background in, in uh, Jewish uh, tradition, Jewish history, Jewish mythology, uh, uh, mysticism, etc. And Jacob Frank claimed to be Jewish. I don't know if he's actually Jewish. And he claimed he was the reincarnation of Zevi, so maybe he pulled down all this, you know, knowledge. He also claimed to be the reincarnation of uh, the biblical uh, patriarch Jacob as well, uh, for what that's worth. So 
back to what you said about inversion and then remember that fast forward back to what you just said now about um uh about this issue with kanye west and uh, about kyrene irving and so many others as well i mean mel gibson and you can go down a list charlie sheen uh gary oldman i think was another one who say these things you're talking about people in hollywood and people in the media that will not allow you to talk about this particular history and they always say well it's anti-semitic not noting the fact that arabs are semites and that islam has likewise been hijacked perceptually by this same group of people in fact the uh, saudi royal family is not really an islamic family in their roots and the Islam that they practice is not really the origin of Islam as it had been. If, if you go back and study the origins, it's not the same kind of Islam. That's why you have this break. You have Wahhabism, uh, you have the Sunni, you have the Shiite, and you have this uh, connection to the British Empire that wanted to create this break in Islam in the same way you have the Balfour Declaration, which wanted and w which eventually was fulfilled, uh, they wanted to reserve this piece of the Middle East for what they said was the Jewish homeland. It was a British design. And then Adolf Hitler personally worked together with the international Jewish elite and the British establishment during the time of the war to establish the homeland of Jewish people in Israel. Um, and then they had this agreement called Havara, and they transferred Jewish people into what amounted to a giant concentration camp and that fulfilled the Balfour Declaration. Um, so this is a this is a distortion of Judaism. It's a distortion of Islam, and it's certainly a distortion of Christianity. So this is why they well the Jewish state uses the star of Saturn. Um, they distort it for political and religious uh, zealot ideology. Let's call it. I'm trying to think of the right word. Well, let me also uh, just say, uh, uh, Ryan, I think the reason the reason why it's so hard to talk about this stuff is because the the more you poke into it, and I I'm really not the scholar on this. I I read a lot as things come my way. I watch, I observe, I listen to other people talk, and I like hosting these types of conversations. But the more you poke into it, the more you start actually seeing that um, it's it's very powerful, um, par very powerful uh, groups that hide behind vulnerable groups of people who really do get brutalized in the process and they use, and they use them as human shields so when and you go into this as you say that they, they pretty much created giant concentration camps for uh, european jews and whatnot uh you start point it's not that you're pointing out that it's jews that were in the concentration camps that's the problem it's when you start wondering whether or not that the people who were actually part and part of the planning for all this change in the world and 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 uh and all this human uh calamity were posing as jews themselves and and working alongside of people who have now been told we've been we've been taught our whole lives are the eternal enemies of humanity and uh, you just start wondering where one group ends and the other one begins yes. and it gets it gets very very confusing and highly controversial because they don't give you enough time to even dig into it and try parsing it very nuanced ways you're already shot down after that point no there's like a hierarchy so you can say what you want for the most part depending on where you're at and who you're talking to uh, about islam and unless you're over in an islamic country then they might cut your head off uh but here in the west you can you can say a lot of nasty stuff about islam and i mean that's changed a little bit in the last 20 years since the bush administration but you can say a lot of nasty stuff about islam 
Uh, you can say a lot of nasty stuff about Christians. I mean, Absolutely. Hollywood is that's brutal. All, that's all it is. Brutal. Remember, I mean, Chris Pratt is a Christian. He wears an American flag shirt. They want to hang him, you know? So, but you can't, that's the thing is, I, I, the thing is you can't have like a movie called Eight Crazy Nights where you mock Judaism. Totally unacceptable. You, you'd be buried beneath the Hollywood sign. You can't do a movie making fun of Jewish people. You can't do a movie really making fun of Muslims anymore. But you can make fun of Christianity to the point where it's sick and disgusting, even if you're not a Christian. It, it, you should be able to clearly see that objectively um, as, as, a, as a listener if you've, ever, if you've never thought about this before. So, you know, you think of the distortion. Like, they use the Saturn, uh, the Saturn star or the star of David's Saturn star on the flag. And then, the, you know, the, the Satanists, as we call them, Satanists or people that are involved in, you know, very dark things. I don't think they know what Satanism is, but the people that claim they're Satanists, they use the upside-down crosses and, oh, this, oh, I've got the sigil of Lucifer. Oh, I know what I'm talking about. And then you have uh, the Muslim world. Uh, likewise, I don't know if people in the West know much about the symbols, but, you know, it's the moon, moon god, which is Jehovah. And uh, there's a similar distortion of those symbols, more so through what we hear in the West uh, about what Islam is. Because I, I, I have a good friend from Saudi Arabia, and she says, yes, a lot of the country's terrible, the royal family's so corrupt, but, you know, the Islam that your Western media talks about is not the Islam I practice. And I said, yeah, I thought that that was the case. And I, I met this, this lady like six years ago, and she told me that. So I, that's when I started digging into it even more so. Um, and you find all these parallels, and you're right, you can't really figure out where one thing starts, one thing stops. Uh, I think we would be, we would be um, unfulfilled tonight if we didn't mention briefly the 1776 creation of the Bavarian Illuminati. Because Adam Weishaupt, the law professor who founded, and there's a literal actual group, as I'm sure you and your listeners know, called the Illuminati. And their, their goal was to infiltrate various aspects of society so infiltrating um groups that were religious infiltrating groups that were political infiltrating groups that were perhaps even medical you know anything infiltrating hospitals uh churches you name it and there's a long history there we don't have time to go into but that was the goal it was infiltration and then using those infiltrated places as vehicles kind of like we penetrate the cabinets Kind of like Klaus Schwab, right? They penetrate the cabinets. That's literally what Adam Weishaupt was writing about. Uh, and then they use those cabinets or they use those vehicles um, as tools to bring about their own agenda. And they do it in a benign way where you can't really figure out who's assaulting you because it's coming from everywhere. And no matter who you try to defend yourself against, you're always going to have another group of people upset at you because you can't say that about Christians. You can't say that about Muslims. You can't say that about Jews, etc. Although you can say a lot more about Christians than other groups. So the bottom line here is it is, yes, distortion. It's inversion. And it's not just flipping a cross upside down or flipping a pentagram upside down, which is also kind of ironic because the pentagram is one of the greatest historical um, symbols of protection and defense against darkness and against evil because it, it, it brings not only the four elements, which are Saturnistic and a necessary evil, but it brings the fifth point. The fifth point is consciousness and illumination. So when these groups try to invert it, like the temple of Satan or Set with that Lucius Greaves guy, they have the, the, the pentagram, usually they have it upside down. I have seen one picture, they have it the other way. But if the pentagram is upward, it's a positive symbol. 
when you're drawing down the light in the in the essence of God, which is consciousness, yourself, your connection to Kether, the divine, and, and what is beyond, uh, that's a positive thing. And you find that in mystical Christianity or Gnosticism. You find the mystical Judaism, uh, the Kabbalah, and you find that also in mystical Islam, uh, Sufism, and, and other types of uh, mystical practices. And within the root of all these things, I think this is really the fascinating thing to me more than anything else, yeah, the root of all these things is really a, a tradition that goes back we don't really know how long. You know, the Greeks and the Romans and the Egyptians, the Egyptians before the Greeks and the Romans were practicing these mystery cult traditions um, inside of the temples of the Nile, famously in Egypt at the Giza Plateau. Uh, Giza is broken down into two different, um, two different things. The G is uh, Geb, which is the earth, so that's the physical, that's Saturn's domain and territory. And then Iza, I-Z-A, is basically it's another word for Isis. Because if you jump to Japan, Japan has a, well, they have a shrine, and they have this history um, that deals in that goddess I mentioned earlier, the sun goddess Amaterasu. They have a shrine called Isa or Isa Jengu. And that is a shrine where they, pra they practice there and other places similar um, something called uh, the way and the way was practiced in Egypt it was practiced in the Americas it was practiced all over the world the way like Jesus said I'm the way the truth and the life or some people say the light as well you are aligning yourself with again the natural cycles you are aligning yourself with the archetype of the Savior of mankind and you are going into the in the case of Egypt just to summarize this quickly uh, Pythagoras did this, and uh, we have a long uh, tradition, um, and a lot of this is described in The Secret Teachings of All Ages, what my show is actually named after by Manley Hall, where he talks about the initiation of the pyramid and how certain things in the pyramid are just very strange, like you crawl through this small tunnel, but then the next room is very tall, and then it's another tunnel, and then the, the size and the, and, the, and the dimensions change. and All that's meant to represent passing through different cycles of life. Um, in the Queen's Chamber, for example, you have this beautiful ceiling, but then compared to the ground, it's beautiful because the ground is just rough and rocky and dirt, and they left because that represents the earth and the ceiling and the geometry and all that represents the heavens and math and God and, and, and all those things. So you'd go into the chamber, you'd be initiated. After three days, they'd come in and they would pull you out of the sarcophagus. And after you were pulled out of the sarcophagus, hopefully you had had a revelatory experience communed with um, your ancestors uh, deities I've known people that have been in the pyramid of Giza the main one uh, and they said that they saw white uh, apparitions like ghost type apparitions come through the walls after being in there for a few hours there's incredible vibration so the point is some kind of super advanced even by our own standards today understandings of math and architecture and um, science were understood by people that were more ancient than the last ice age. Um, we know Robert Schock and John Anthony West talked about how the Sphinx and, and these main monuments at, uh, at uh, Giza, at Egypt, um, they're much older than the Egyptian civilization. The Egyptians started out and then they started to, to fall off of what they were able to build. And, and some of the pyramid texts that talk about these stories sort of were were um, less complex as they were they were translated and, and, and they were um, 
they were uh, written down. So the point to all this is, and, I know and, this and, seems and, like and, it's... And just jump in there, too. Robert Schock, yeah, sure. Robert Schock is one of those guys that I tried to get on this show before, but he's he's never been available. I, I, I've always, only ever gotten very politely rejected, but I, I would lo- have loved to talk to him about his work there because I know he was the one that uh, that posits that the the lower levels of the Sphinx is water damage. Yes. That, that, that it's water erosion and that we're, we're talking from about rain, from rain, yeah. torrential rain for years and years. Yes. Yeah. So, th- so it, um, I mean, those are some mind blowing Robert shocks, uh, theories and his, his videos on the internet about his theories on the Sphinx. I, I love those. Those were really, uh, yeah, that, that'd be awesome to have him on one day. Maybe, perhaps you and I could speak to him both, but anyway, uh, go ahead. Well, I would love to. I actually, they sent me his book recently, a revised edition, and I need to contact them for an interview. So if I get him, I'll uh, I'll let you know about it because I've never interviewed him either. So yeah, so j- just you know, looking at the the mythology and the the clear understanding of advanced math and science and engineering and and architecture and things like this, there has to be a common source for all this. You have similar stories all over the world, similar building techniques things that are more advanced than what we understand, uh, let alone can even do today. So something had to have been, people say aliens, I don't think it's aliens. I think it's an advanced ancient human civilization of which was in part over time um, wiped off the face of this planet. In large part, we have evidence of that with um, the remnants of the flood and places like Dwarf off the coast of India and, and Yanaguni off the coast of southwest uh, Japan, which is amazing, amazing, amazing place. Uh, just to look at the pictures and the video of it. So this indicates that there was a very high level of knowledge. And over time, just like I told you, this god in Central America, Tezcatlipoca, or the god that pushed Krishna out of his place in India, tried to bring in a destructive and chaotic and um, cult of human and child sacrifice. And again, you think Malik, or perhaps you might think, California. California is trying to make it a whole statewide curriculum to have children chant the name of Tiasquetlipoca. And why you would want your kid to chant the name of a god of human sacrifice and not the god of love and light like Quetzalcoatl, I think Quetzalcoatl was mentioned, but he's not the main deity, shows that the cult of Tiasquetlipoca is very well alive today. And it's also alive in American politics because the, the average person you can have a debate with about abortion. But when it's all abortion all the time, no restrictions, get pregnant to have an abortion, there are people like that. That is a cult of human sacrifice as far as I'm concerned. Hmm. At least it's the theme, it's the energy, and it's the signature of that. Now, that's not my stance on abortion. It's just paralleling these historical things with what's happening today to show you that these types of cults are very much alive, even if they're ideological cults. And I think when you look back, even on the, the, the movement uh, and the history in the 20th century of the people that tend to lean in that particular political direction, um, they were big supporters historically. I mean, look at uh, Senator Byrd, look at Hillary Clinton, look at Bill Gates's father. These were all eugenicists. And these were eugenicists that got their ideas from late 19th century, early 20th century British eugenicists. Um, the U.S. was the first country to have these kinds of eugenics laws. Hitler picked them up later. He didn't start them. And these eugenics laws were pushed by, we're not going to get into politics, but a very progressive left that was the foundation for what we call fascism today. Communism itself is the biggest, greatest form of fascism because it's a collectivized society. 
Um, and they are promoters traditionally. I'm not saying Democrats today. I'm saying traditionally in the 20th century, these people were promoters of technocracy, which is what modern China is, and they're promoters of, well, abortion and murdering, as Margaret Sanger said, all Jewish people, all black people, anybody who wasn't just like her. So you can see a consistent theme, whether you're talking about Adam Weishaupt, Debate Zavai, uh, uh, Jacob uh, uh, Frank, uh, Frankism, Zabate uh, Zavai, whatever you want to call it, um, Sabatian uh, Frankism, some people refer to it as. It's a similar theme. It's distorting and inverting nature. It's destroying life. And it's not just archetypical. It's also literal. War, chaos, destruction, confusion, believing things that don't really make sense, but believing them. Humans have always done this, of course, but this is something that has been psychologically weaponized. You see the people with the Ukrainian flags in America that act like they're in Ukraine fighting. Like, this is a cult, and it's a similar kind of psychological cult. It's a psychological death cult that's linked to everything you mentioned with Kyrie Irving and, and Kanye West. They mentioned one thing about Zionism. They never said Jews. Most people don't even know what Zionism is. So they mentioned Zionism, and they basically they lose their bank account, they lose their deals, they lose the ability to play basketball, they have to you know, pay up all this money. And this is something we see in Ukraine. It's something we see with Nazi Germany. It's something that we've seen traditionally with, when you go back into uh, history. So I'm not saying there's a singular cult. We started the show off tonight. Not, we're not talking about a singular one-sided cult. But it's the themes and it's the ideologies. Um, and it's the – let me give you this example really quick. Personally, I'm an independent politically, but historically – the Democratic Party was founded on the justification for slavery, which they believed was racial. It was their last-ditch effort to justify the institution. That's a provable 100% fact. You cannot debate that unless you deny reality. Now, that doesn't mean Democrats today are, are all like that at all, by any means. It doesn't mean Republicans are good people because the Republican Party ended slavery. What it means is, over time, though, that ideology transitioned into the KKK, it transitioned into racially motivated eugenics, and it transitioned into Hitler's Germany. It transitioned into Mao's China. It transitioned into Pol Pot and Joseph Stalin. It transitioned into what we have today, um, a uh, military-industrial-pharmaceutical-globalist complex uh, that believes in technocracy and wants to eliminate organic life on this planet, if you listen to Silicon Graphene Valley. So it's not necessarily the same thing but it's the same theme. It's the same idea, using race as the basis of everything, using certain groups to have a shield against criticism of what you're doing, and it's all moving in the same direction. So in the same way, we're not talking about a specific cult, but it's the same theme everywhere it manifests. It is chaos, destruction. It's archetypical, but it's also very specific where we can actually name individuals and people and things and histories uh, where uh, these kinds of things are, are directly carried out, like the Bavarian Illuminati or Frank or Zavai, et cetera. Right. I hope and, that makes sense. Oh, it, it, makes, it makes perfect sense because um, if people, especially people on the Internet now who, are, who listen to shows like this and are asking these questions and whatnot, they, uh, I always use the, the, uh, the analogy or the, the saying that people, for at least the first 10 years, they're drinking from the fire hose. And and it really comes down to, for a lot of people, they, they come to this very quick conclusion that, yes, 
And, and this is where, and this is something that is used big time by those who are who are in the psychological warfare and mind war practices of 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 beating people into submission and making things verboten. It's when it's when uh, it's when people come to very. Uh, it's very quick to jump to the conclusion that yes, there is a solitary group. It is just one group of people, and that's all it is. Uh, it's very popular to sell Jews, 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 and then of course that gets into a, a lot of trouble. But when you start, if you you spend enough time there, you start finding nuance in 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 what that really means and then you start seeing that it's it's 10 other groups and there's a lot of overlap and it's uh it's a little bit more like game of thrones and i um (laughs) it it gets very messy so it becomes very hard to talk about things because you you can't have there's no quick answer there's pre-programming and reflex action so it's almost impossible to have the conversation because it's a program as soon as you mention a word it triggers a response and then the robotic mind just says oh that's anti-semitic must target must eliminate right right and then and then of course the more that you would target and eliminate people the more resentful other people get and they just get uh and they just start making they start. It's like their biases start getting con, uh, uh, confirmed. You confirmed, precisely. And it's a. Uh, it's it. It gets real rough. It gets real rough. That's why. That's why. Like you know, when I have seen friends or my own chat room, like back three or four years ago, there were some. There were some. Uh, some groups out there that were like anti-Zionist groups and whatnot that would promote themselves by raiding people's chat rooms and they would get into a chat room they'd scroll throughout the entire thing name the jew name the jew what all over and over again and i'm saying to myself as i'm watching this transpire it only happened like once or twice and i i'm watching this transpire i'm saying if i were Mossad, i would invest in this i would invest <laughs> in this i would send but they people. have oh yeah absolutely I, I i actually in that in that moment i said i bet you any money that 90% of the people in here who are actually people and not bots are Mossad. Because it, it only it only serves that purpose. It takes away all of the actual, you know, a, a, the, the reason to be studious about this and uh, and, and also reserved. Now, I, I mean, no matter how nuanced you and I are being right now, this is a very dangerous conversation to have. I'm going to, del- I'm going to delete it from YouTube afterwards. It'll live everywhere else. But, but still, my question to you, I mean, you were bringing up Europe, you were bringing up the U.S., and how you have these themes that pop up all over the place where, you know, uh, uh, slavery and eugenics makes its way to Europe under Hitler and, and, and this and that. But, um, you know, it, it's good to remember that Europe and the U.S. were not disconnected even in the, uh, in the Freemasonic Illuminati sense in the 18th century during our, our own revolution. It was not disconnected during the Civil War. I mean, we, we've, we've done plenty of work on, on this show about revisiting the figure that was Albert Pike. Um, I, I'd love to do that with you one night. But you know what, I would, what I'd love to throw out to you, because this would just be an opinion question and maybe based on your own work, how common is it to find initiated practitioners of this, or or how common do you think it is to have initiated practitioners of these cults, like this these eyes wide shut Stanley Kubrick kind of hood wearing orgy on the weekend cults? Because what you described before in California 
is something I picked up on that story when it came out that in California they were encouraging children to go out and worship Aztec gods. I uh, and and that right there is a it is is an example of just stupid dupes and uh, and people who have not not gods of light or life like Quetzalcoatl who brought civilization gods of human and child sacrifice yeah and and, and that's the whole point there now this is being said okay I thought it was funny at the time because you have parents who have probably had religion and faith and any kind of moral grounding that used to tether this country a couple of generations back to reality, you probably had them thinking it was very worldly and cool that even though they spend their time railing against Christianity, thinking it's fake and all that nonsense and you and they're they're just they love just making it the punching bag that never punches back. At the same time, they think it's cute. Go ahead, kids, play with the Aztec gods. You know, it makes you worldly. I just so my question to you is how common do you think it is to have initiated practitioners of this cult life versus just the power drunk dupes um, who enjoy all of the, uh, the, the skimming off the top tax money and, and social status and all that stuff. To have those kinds of initiated people, like physically initiated, if you will? Yeah, how much? Oh, I how, would. Do you think it's a lot or you think it's just uh, passed down bad behavior? Personally, I think it's very little to, I mean, I'm not saying none. I would imagine, I can't give you a number, but I would imagine it's not as many uh, as the people who willfully go along. Because even good people that want to do the right thing, that's usually who gets you know bought off the first. People that want to do the good thing uh, are bought off first. People want to do the good thing, uh, do the right thing, so they play along. And um, I mean, part of the part of what's kind of, I guess, boiling in the American culture today is that it's violent to defend yourself against someone attacking you. It's violence. You don't want to be violent. You got to be peaceful. And most people want to be peaceful. They don't want to you know, have to act out in a way of self-defense. You know, they don't want to act out in a way of violence, even if it's in self-defense. So people, I think, the average person who's a very good person, most people are good in that way, um, get exploited and used. And then you have other people that call them psychopaths. They don't have the ability to empathize, perhaps. That's one of the ways we define a psychopath. Um, they find themselves drawn to that kind of... Um, uh, behavior and those types of places that allow that behavior. I mean, it's why so many people that are convicted of pedophilia get hired by Disney and get rehired by the church because they cultivate an environment at those places where they coddle it and they protect it. And that doesn't mean that Jesus is a bad thing or that even Mickey Mouse is a bad thing, which, by the way, we should boycott Disney because, well, Disney was an actual Nazi, but that's a separate story. Uh, NASA was also founded by Nazis, so we should probably boycott NASA too, but left-leaning people love those two places yeah i digress uh the point the point is you have the um you have the uh the idea uh that you know i think it's probably through hollywood ironically that these kinds of things are like eyes wide shut um and maybe in some ways they are uh i've heard uh i mean what was the guy's name the famous uh, comedian um uh cat williams and he was he got raided by the by the government federal federal government a couple times. He was talking about how he got invited to the mansion parties and there was just homosexuality everywhere. And he was being drawn into these weird kind of like Tupac, uh, very similar thing in black communities, especially in the music industry. So there is certainly that kind of thing. And you look at the but then you look at slime balls like Harvey Weinstein, and this guy was just trying to. I mean, 
on the surface, not to be vulgar, but he's just trying to get a, a BJ uh, for a movie part or have some girl watch him do something on a plant. And that's different than what Epstein was doing, but it's still all connected in the end. Um, and I think you have groups like Epstein, those are certainly organized. And he's doing that as a blackmail operation, and they're watching people, and they're getting young kids, and they're doing terrible things beyond what the media told us when they finally admitted it out here in, or out, out in New Mexico uh, at the ranch where they were wanting to, I don't know if they succeeded, in, they wanted to impregnate women with his sperm to create a super race. I mean, that's like the Lebensborn program in Germany. Uh, it's totally psychotic. So to answer your question simply, yes, there certainly are groups like that. I don't think they have an initiation list and a roll call and they take dues. Right. But there, there certainly are groups like that. And I want to say one last thing about Masonry. I am not an official Freemason, um, but after I've studied and um, I believe pursued scholarly things into the esoteric and occult, I consider myself a Freemason and I consider the symbols of death momentum mori and I consider Freemasonry as a metaphor, uh, as a brick in the societal temple you are helping to build society and make it a better place. And all the deeds that you conduct and uh, the kindness that you exude and express and all the things that you do and create, those are bricks in the individual personal temple. And it's unfinished, not because the devil's watching us. It's unfinished because we can always do better and we can always better ourselves, better our friends and our family work together and better our communities. And that is the irony that has been hijacked by collectivized equality, equity cults. We've got to just do what's best for the community. That's much different than what Freemasonry is. Freemasonry is helping the community but being independent to do so. These cults are helping the community by collectivizing everything and making everybody poor. Huge difference, and Freemasonry is basically a glove, as you alluded to earlier, that something very sinister has stuck its hand into. I'd love to do a show just uh, with you just on Freemasonry. I'd love to talk uh, Freemasons, Rosicrucians. I'd, I'd love to do all of that. Oh, I'd be honored. Yeah, I, I, I would. And, and just to turn it into a longer series of talks, and I, I'll turn it into its own little uh, playlist series on, on my podcast so people can just run through all this stuff. Because there's, there's stuff here that obviously in the time that we set aside for tonight inside of a two-hour greater episode, um, it, 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 we are really just skimming the surface. And I really love that you, you brought up the Disney, uh, the Disney uh, stuff and, and whatnot and what, what it, NASA and what is, uh, what is forgivable for some people and not for others. I mean, I, I was going to actually find a way to bring up the the rocket program and uh, Jack Parsons in particular he had very oh, yeah. very uh, otherworldly pursuits going on over there he as, as some people theorize that he was part of the some people theorize that he's responsible for Hillary Clinton's birth because they think that she's the moonchild that they're that they're they're trying to <laughs> you know uh, that they're trying to incarnate there um, but then or you that have George, is it George Bush's mom or something's Alistair Crowley's daughter something like that too I've heard I've heard that. I've heard that, uh, the, but then you, but then you also have modern, modern practitioners that have popped up everywhere, including Microsoft, where they had to take down that uh, that commercial they did with Marina Abramovic, and uh, oh yeah, and, yeah, and all the the spirit. All the, what's that? I'm sorry, was that the was that the one where it was like a digital art gallery, and then she. They asked her, like, so what's this gallery? And she's like, I don't know. I put the headset on, and then I stand here, and you pay me a bunch of money, and then anything happens, it's it's what you see. That's the art. Yeah, so was that the? Yeah, I, I remember that it, advertisement. It was, either way, I don't even remember the advertisement in in its entirety. Uh, to be honest, uh, Ryan, because they, 
it, it was only out there in the public for so for so little, and everybody was just like, I can't believe, you know, they they went after them for for uh, uh, teaming up with this 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 witch, and and like, well, what do you, at first I was like, well, what do you expect? I think this is just good validation for the rest of us who said that these companies are evil, <laughs> even though we're so reliant on their their computer products. But still, we had the spirit cooking with Lady Gaga and all those people. We found that in the Podesta. The Podesta emails, the spirit cooking and shit like that. That was that was written off as nothing but performance art. You're just taking that out I, of context. I think that they have, in my opinion, we don't have time to get into this, but I, I think that the Pizzagate story has been perpetuated in negative um, perpetuity in order to distract from the very, you're right, very factual in emails, very well documented, the Podestas and the Clintons and their involvement in this. A lot of that has been focused on and and exaggerated to divert attention away from the very factual things in those emails, which include, yes, the spirit cooking, which is derived from Aleister Crowley, another one of these guys like Zavai. I'm surprised he didn't say he was the reincarnation of Zavai or Frank because he also was attempting to bring about the end of the world and to bring it. I mean, he even said himself he was the beast um, and he was trying to bring about the end of the world, too. So these they're all coming from a similar cloth. They're being cut from a similar cloth. Yes, I and, and, and in that respect, as far as the end of the world goes, what I had what I had been uh, what I had came to understand was that you can get there in one of two ways: that the the end times will come, the Messiah will come either through people ascending in goodness, and they they are they're, they're ready to to see the Messiah, the second coming, and and it's through good that you can get there. Or you can go the Cloward Piven option, and you can just promote a culture that is so debased uh, that that it, it it brings about just the worst of perversions and and human uh, catastrophe and war. Sodom and, and Gomorrah. Yeah, that, that if you you can go one way, one of two ways to reach the end, and that I guess you know you're talking about Star Wars, the 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 uh, the, the light, and then there is the dark side. What is so much more tempting tempting for human beings? We know that we are a we're a pretty lazy species, we're an easily tempted species, and we are faulted. It is so easy for us to slip into darkness and not be able to find our way out and just have it get worse than it is to, to really take the time. And it, it, it really is a lot of, lot of, lot of work to, uh, well, that, to strengthen yourself to go the opposite direction, but that's what they play on, obviously. And therein, I think, lies the irony in the... I don't want to call it a conspiracy. I don't really think that's the right word to use. But there's kind of the irony in the mythology and in the esoterica, if you will, the history. Um, all these different things that we discussed tonight, uh, the mystery schools and the initiation and the aligning oneself with the rising sun and illumination, all those things have been hijacked. The illumination has turned into the Illuminati and what we have today is wokeism. Uh, that's not enlightenment. That's not in any way, shape, or form nirvana. That's a distortion of those things. Uh, community and brotherhood have been distorted as being collectivized thought and no individual will and no individual freedom. Uh, that's not a positive thing. That's not a very uh, enlightened thing. So all the beautiful positive things, all the good things, uh, you said good as opposed to evil, um, that's what's happening there. And in terms of the evil, evil is necessary. Uh, in order to understand the good, I believe, in all of its aspects. But at the same time, when we only focus on evil, 
Or likewise, when we only focus on good, everything's love and light. Don't think about it. Don't worry about it. Your house is burning down. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. That is just as evil as focusing only on the darkness. You need to have the yin-yang. You need to have the yad-yum of India. You need to have the balance between the two, which is Christ or Jesus crucified between two thieves. It's the high priestess sitting between the two pillars, Boaz and Jochen, or science and philosophy, beauty and strength, reason and logic. If you don't have that middle path of the Buddha, then you are distorted and lost just as much as any of the symbols or any of the stories that we've talked about tonight. The middle path is the only way, the only way, capital letters, W-A-Y, the only way to divinity and the only way to reconnecting with divinity and the second coming. As Alan Watts said, and I believe this from reading Manly Hall's books, the tradition of a second coming or a rebirth, you have a physical rebirth in the pyramid and the temple, they call that living resurrection in the in the bridal chamber, which was discussed in the Gnostic Gospels. This is happening while we're alive. And the great secret of the mysteries, which I can basically tell you what it is, everybody knows it if you've read anything about the, uh, about the occult history, is that there is no death. And to convince people that you're going to die, so you need to take some kind of physical form that will last forever, that is the deceptive tongue of the devil, of Satan, of the adversary. Um, that is the manipulation to keep spirit entombed in the physical world. And in order to resurrect and in order to have this, what we call the second coming, in order to see the second coming, it's not Jesus in the sky. Maybe it'll be a UFO. It's not those things, I don't think. I think it's, it's all in the mind. It's a reawakening of your internal and your higher self and recognizing these kinds of things. And genuinely, I mean, I have this desire, I know other people that have this desire, I know you do as well, to share things and to talk with people and to learn things. I think that is the purest form of purity you can find outside of a child that doesn't have the ability to communicate. Learning and sharing knowledge, that is enlightenment, that is nirvana, it's a state of mind, and when you reach it, which is a, it's a thing that is continuous as you reach it consistently every day, constantly. Uh, it is a reawakening. It is a reconnection. Uh, it is a rebirth. It is living resurrection. And it is a realization that this is not the only world or the only reality um, and that there is something beyond it. Uh, and then once you recognize that, you are, as they say, um, reborn. And that is the coming of Jesus the second time, the second coming. It's a spark of, I think Alan Watts called it a spark of consciousness. It's the second spark of consciousness that makes you realize, oh, this is just a physical existence. There's something much more beyond this world of Saturn. What a wonderful way to end that one. I appreciate everything, uh, Ryan. I hope that people go check out the secretteachings.info and, and tune into your, your broadcasts. I, uh, we got a lot more to do, and I, I love sprinkling these into the, the programming schedule because I'll tell you, everything on the outside just gets really dull sometimes, and I love taking these <laughs> rides with you. Anything else you want to leave people with? I think you, you said it all. Well, I really appreciate you having me on the show. I got good feedback the last time that um, that I was on here and the last time you were on my show. We did that Warhol show, mm -hmm. uh, which was kind of fun and funny. Just the website, as you said, on that website, you can find all my books. If you enjoyed what I talked about tonight, I'd highly recommend you get my book, Occult Arcana or Liberty Shrugged. And I have two emails. One's new. I just started rdgable at yahoo.com or tstradio at protonmail.com. And lastly, you can follow me. I'm only on Twitter and Facebook. 
uh, TST underscore underscore radio on Twitter, and then just search the show name uh, on Facebook. And I lied. There is one last thing. If you search The Secret Teachings on any radio podcast player, you can listen to my show uh, for free. There are ads if you're not a subscriber, but you get the show free if you can't listen to the Monday through Friday uh, broadcast on Ground Zero dot Radio, 10 p.m. to midnight Pacific. Again, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I respect what you're doing and uh, the fact that you say the things you do, which are, when I first met you, some of the things you said, I'm like, oh, my God, he's saying some of the things I've said, and I get so much trouble for them. Uh, I, appreci- I appreciate your candor and your honesty. Well, we're, we're going to see just how much trouble I, I get into uh, this time by this time tomorrow, uh, uh, Ryan. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave the building out of a different exit. I'm going to look over my shoulder a couple of times, and uh, I'll hurry on home. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you for everything, and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you, my friend. Have a good night. Bye-bye. All right. There you go. Ladies and gents, I know. I know. A lot to take in there. And as you know, Ryan, I, I think that uh, for somebody who is not religious, is very fair to those who are, and I'm sure that there's a lot that people in this audience who is uh, who are are very religious in in their own right, mostly Christian audience. There's probably some things in there that you just you made just made your your nose scrunch up, and it's all right. We had we'd survived the conversation, and uh, but as far as as far as the the journey through time. And that insight into some of the things fueling so much of our experience even today, it's not everything, nowhere close, but I figured that uh, it would be a good chapter one. Can't wait for chapter two. Got to get them back sometime soon. Maybe we can do it once a month and we can keep adding on to that. And if you have any questions that you want to send into the show, I would encourage you to send it to quite frankly podcast at gmail or protonmail.com, and I can set them aside for Ryan the next time he's on. I can start building up an entire, you know, an entire list of things that he can talk about. That would be that would be terrific. So if you have questions, if you have anything you want to add to, anything you want to push back on, just send it on in. I I think that would be a wonderful thing to do in in uh, in the future when he comes back, which he most certainly will. All right, we're going to go on a really quick break for intermission. When we come back, I have a little bit of a a thread I want to read to you on Lord of the Rings that might tie into this. A little bit of interesting history, especially literary, and then a little bit more of a wrap-up with Saturn. So don't go anywhere. No wrong one, you dumbass. Welcome to Intermission. We'll we'll be right back. Yeah, Intermission. Intermission. 
frankly. Quite 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 frankly. We all support quite frankly. Quite frankly. Let's go, Brandon. Not quite. Quite frankly in Roma, Italia. I really like you. You're very smart. So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you? Hmm. The only thing I didn't have for that conversation was a hot cup of, quite frankly, daily roast coffee. Man. Everybody in the chat room, uh, on on the Discord chat room, started ta uh, uh, tagging Albert to say, Albert, Ryan Gable mentioned Alan Watts. That's like Albert's boy. I think Alan Watts is pretty cool. He's 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 gotten me a couple of those aha moments before, no doubt about it. Makes you relax. Anyway... Anyway, I hope that was uh, challenging in a good way. I have something for you, but we're going to get to our Super Chats first. I want to see what people have to say. Stickman Mike, five minutes ago, says, Hey, Frank, good show tonight with Ryan Gable. Here's a donation from a longtime Freemason. Freemasonry can make good men better, but we can't make bad men good. It's a good way of putting anything, I guess. No, we'll have a Freemasonry talk. We'll have a Rosicrucians talk. We'll, we'll go into it. We're going to have a... At the end of a... You give, it, you give us a couple of years, and I'll have Ryan Gable coming back over the course of a couple of years, and we will have a series of conversations archived that will make Mark Booth blush. How's that sound? Thank you, everybody, watching on Rockfin and over on Rumble. No Rumble rants there. Don't be shy, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, thank you to everybody on Foxhole that just showers us with support. Um, really appreciate it. I have some, I have some gold pill messages to get through over here, and uh, that's terrific for a very large viewing audience right now. Great to have you guys. I hope you at least just share the show with people because I don't know. Out of every out of every ten people you introduce to the audience, maybe one of them becomes a monthly sponsor one day. And I don't plug myself enough because I don't. Um, I got. I still got a big problem uh, doing that because I don't want to bother anybody. But this show is always for free. It always will be. Never behind a paywall. Monday through Friday, seven o'clock, and it's all about the viewer experience. So I welcome you into my coffee shop here. You can come in and just enjoy the music, I guess. No drink minimum, but it would be great if you bought a drink. Thank you, guys. Let's see. Uh, Sean Joe sent over a cookie. Witchy Pooh says, Frank, you're looking sexy tonight. Wow. Is it my shirt? Lauren got me this shirt. I guess she just wanted me to look sexy. 
I like the way it feels. It's very soft. She got me like a maroon one too, and uh, a gray one, and then the two-tone one that I had the other night. I got back home the other night, and she came up to me. And she went, "Ooh, this looks very Punisher." I said, <laughs> so "You little vixen, you." All right, let's see. Boys Blanc says, elections in Michigan sucked. I'm more aware and ready to capitalize. Witchy Poo again. Cookie fight. And now here comes the cookies. Great show tonight, Frank, says Tom Ford. Uh, Witchy Poo again says, give Abe a raise. And then Sean Joe and more. There you go. Cookies all around. You guys, are, you thank you so much for everything. It's really a, a wonderful thing to get that kind of support from the audience. So let's get into a little something to get our night capped off. Here is a thread that we put into PDF form because I didn't want to... Um, actually, you know what? I know it's still out there. I know it's still out there because I sent it to Ryan Gable. So let me actually go and grab it. I put it in PDF form. John Carroll, quite frankly, writer, put it into PDF form in case it disappeared by the, you know, by the time we actually used it on a show like tonight. And uh, I did not want that to happen. So that's what I have the backup here. But I also sent this over to Ryan and it's still out. So I'm just going to go right to the Twitter. Because it looks nicer. Here we have it. This is a thread by Robert, Robert Kearney, 1981. On Twitter. And it was written back in 2020. August 15th of 2020. Millions have come to enjoy and love J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings trilogy, but few know that the author privately told many that these works were based on a true history of Europe, one which had been hidden from ordinary people for thousands of years. Although publicly being forced to claim these stories came from his experience in the Great War, in private, Tol in private Tolkien said, uh, was said to become enraged when his works were dismissed as fantasy. No, he said, it is in analogy and metaphor. This is what I learned from my reading. It says here, this is all based on truth, and he would get angry when people said this was only analogy and metaphor. He would say, no, this isn't analogy. As a young student at Oxford, Tolkien claimed that he discovered a number of old books in the basement of the school's library. They contain an account of life in Europe in six, uh, in Europe six, 500 years ago. Europe six. That right there, I don't even know what the hell that is. Europe six, 500 years ago, and an epic struggle for an ancient civilization that occurred then. Okay, the struggle back then. What does that look like to you? Middle Earth? The books were written in ancient Scandinavian, a language that Tolkien had co coincidentally studied so he was able to read them. Tolkien reported, and he told his friends like C.S. Lewis, there's a whole history we don't even know about. I'm going to read you a little bit here. Tolkien's Middle Earth was a true history by T.S. Caladan. Is it possible that the world J.R.R. Tolkien so elegantly defined for us in Lord of the Rings has a ring of historical truth? Could elements of The Hobbit and the following trilogy be his interpretations of actual events? J. Widener's work uh, inspired this writer with a mention of Tolkien while investigating Stanley's mysterious death. 
talking about Kubrick's death. Upon hearing a uh, a YT of uh, a YT of Widener on radio, he states a small tidbit of info in his in this uh, uh, info this writer has come across down through the years. And that was the colorful characters and strange events Tolkien gave to the world in his epics were not figments of a wild imagination. They were real. Consider the printed transcript of Jay's radio show. Quote, J.R.R. Tolkien, who's the only person who can read the books in the basement of Oxford, uh, he's got all these very old books from Finland and Sweden, and he's the only guy who can actually read them, all right? And he spends hours and hours reading all this stuff, the history that's down there, and he writes Lord of the Rings after he's done reading it, okay? He says uh, to his friends C.S. Lewis, he says there's a whole history we don't even know about, and he told people in his letters that Lord of the Rings was about Europe, 6,500, okay, so it's not Europe 6, he wrote it very weirdly, there's a space between the uh, the comma and the 500, 6,500 years ago, not Europe 6, 500 years ago. Uh, Europe 6,500 years ago that the Irish were the hobbits. <laughs> And the elves were the Nords. He had this whole thing figured out. Now, Europe, 6,500 years ago, was as uh, was far different than we know it today, uh, says Robert Kearney. The British Isles were connected to the continent in what archaeologists now refer to as Doggerland. If one looks at maps of old Europe, they can easily see how it connects to the Lord of the Rings topography. Hmm. In several private letters to correspondents, Tolkien wrote that, quote, Lord of the Rings was about Europe 6,500 years ago, that the Irish were the hobbits and the elves were the Nords. The similarities between Tolkien's fictional Middle-earth races and ancient ones, such as the Celts, are too obvious to ignore. Hobbit, uh, Hobbit shires bear a strong resemblance to early Celtic set settlements as well. Look at those hobbits. Cozy homes, though. Very cozy. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, indeed. Elves were the Nordic Viking races. Wizards like Gandalf were Druid priests. But beyond Tolkien's own private recollections, modern science itself had shown that the ancient world was full of various hominid species associating and interbreeding with each other, modern man included. Yeah, you can go and you probably get some uh, good stuff on that from, what's his name? Uh... Uh, oh man, Pyle? What's his name? Lloyd, Lloyd Pye, Lloyd Pye. There was even a race of actual hobbits, although their re remains have so far only been discovered in Indonesia. Various legends from around the world of similar beings show that they were probably widespread. Hobbits in Indonesia, you say? So many subspecies. But what about Lord of the Rings' main antagonist, Sauron? He is most likely based on the historic figure Sargon of Akkad, who himself may have been a composite of a number of different people. This figure literally invented the concept of time and the rules which our modern world runs on. Before the time of Sauron, Sargon, men lived more in harmony with themselves and nature because psychic abilities and spiritual gifts were abundant. After Sauron imposed his corrupt system, our minds became imprisoned by the artificial reality it created, and these were lost. 
so many stories of Paradise Lost. Orcs and other such creatures presented in Lord of the Rings were likely other hominid species such as Neanderthals. Sauron's eye is definitely Saturn, or a form of Saturn, cube, used to enslave humans and other species, binding them to the truth, or blinding them to the truth. So there, this is where I said, oh man, we're going into this now. Saturn in the cube, and we're doing this at the end. Unfortunately, unlike the end of Lord of the Rings, the real-world equivalent of Sauron won, and we are now all stuck in the Matrix he and the modern elites descended from have kept us in. One day, man will hopefully get his collective self out of it, but much work will be needed. Are we going to march into Mordor together, ladies and gentlemen? Another article on the fantastic world of prehistoric interaction between modern-day humans and other hominid species. Really good stuff. And uh, the rings. This is where I wanted to get into. Uh, it, it's from this article from uh, World Mysteries about Tolkien's Middle-earth and the true history and especially the rings. The rings represent the power of man over reality and his perception of it and whether or not civilization would exist based on freedom and harmony within the natural world or with our spiritual blindness and enslavement to material things. Whose hands is it in now? The rings. And the, the, there it is, not only the rings in the, in the hands of the hobbit, but also the rings of Saturn. Saturn, Lord of the Ring. Also note that Lord of the Rings contains many other esoteric topics in its pages, such as Atlantis, Celestial Ones, ancient races being genetically engineered by others, etc. It's clear that Tolkien was well-versed in such hidden knowledge. So, um, and here's another note, just again, this, this thread is based on reported private conversations of J.R.R. Tolkien. Has absolutely nothing to do with his politics or politics in general, general whether right or left, mysticism, racialism, fascism, etc. And um, I mean, we know we we can read things and not melt down, but whatever. Anyway, I think C.S. Lewis was a big part of Tolkien's uh, conversion to Christianity. They were all friends with each other, but could it be ancient European history? Could it all be? And uh, the Druids and Saturn. There you go. We're talking about thousands of years. So, it, you know, tonight I figured, oh, we're going to talk a little bit about how far back this goes and how ancient a concept it is and how much of it has actually been preserved, either in practice, just in behavior, or in actual ritual. But we got a lot to think about. I can't wait to see what comes in with the emails. It's always the favorite part of the job is just going and basking in everybody's response and, and how, they, uh, they, how they enjoyed themselves. And hopefully it was enjoyable for all. I would really enjoy that if it were enjoyable for you. But thank you, Captain Flint. Thank you, Belushi. Says this is for uh, a little bit of money for a call screener. Yeah, well, one day we'll get to the call screening. It's Thursday, though, so there's no Quite Frankly TV after hours. We're working on bridging the gap on the week, so um, we'll see what happens. But tomorrow night, Friday night, I don't think I have anybody on for tomorrow night. I think it just might be you and I, and maybe Matt. I don't I don't know. Yeah, nothing. We got Greg Carlwood from the Higher Side Chats coming on November 14th. Jason Burmis on the 15th. We're going to be talking about woolly mammoth and human-animal hybrids. The CIA wanting to 
uh, resurrect all that stuff. And when he gets off, we'll just take the calls on the uh, the ethics of the whole thing. November 16th, Joel Ballman, King Bao, pro-MMA, conspiracy god, conspiracy goat. He's the one that called out Jimmy Kimmel uh, at the end of that fight that he, he had uh, a month and a half ago, two months ago. He's coming on. We're going to be talking about a whole bunch of stuff. I'm just going to let him roll. Just going to let him roll there. And then we'll see. Robin McCutcheon at the end of the at the end of the, the month. I still got to do a few other things. And that's all she wrote, ladies and gentlemen. Um, have yourselves a wonderful night. And please be in touch. Become a sponsor. And I will see you tomorrow night for our Friday night cap off to the week. Nighty night. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is filmed before a live studio audience, and now our super chatter, starting with the lovely Stostube family, Stickman Mike, and to all of our friends on uh, on Foxhole. Thank you to everybody watching on Theta, which has become a very cozy jacuzzi-like setting over there. Thank you to everybody on Foxhole on QuiteFrankly.tv, to Twitch, to Rumble, to YouTube, to DLive, to Rockfin. You're all winners in my eyes. I don't care what they say about you. See you tomorrow. really went downhill after the World Trade Center. You know, Quasimodo predicted all this. Who did what? All these problems, the Middle East, the end of the world. Nostradamus. Quasimodo's the hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh, right. Nostradamus. Nostradamus and Notre Dame. It's two different things completely. Interesting, though, to be so similar, isn't it? And I always thought, okay, hunchback of Notre Dame. You also got your quarterback and your halfback of Notre Dame. What's a fucking cathedral? Obviously, I know. I'm just saying. It's interesting, the coincidence. What? You're going to tell me you never pondered that? The back thing with Notre Dame? No.